Hello and welcome to the C&D podcast. I'm Jo Shorthouse from C&D and you're listening to series five of A Coffee With, a podcast series where we sit down with some of pharmacy's most inspirational women to talk about all facets of women in pharmacy. In each episode, I'll be chatting to a different woman associated with pharmacy about their career, the issues of the day, as well as the industry in general. Over the next four weeks, we'll hear plenty of words of wisdom. So pour yourself a cup of your favorite hot beverage and join me for the latest installment of A Coffee With. To kick off the first installment in this series of A Coffee With, I'm delighted to welcome pharmacy historian, Bryony Hudson. Bryony was keeper of the museum collections at the Royal Pharmaceutical Society from 2002 until 2011. Now the director of Amersham Museum and an honorary lecturer at Cardiff University's School of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences, among many other commitments to societies, such as the Society of Apothecaries and the British Society of the History of Pharmacy. Bryony, it's lovely to have you with us here today to discuss the importance of women in the history of pharmacy. I just wanted to start off with a really broad question, which is, why is it important to learn about the history of women in pharmacy? It's a really good question. And thank you for having me on. It's great to be uh, here and get a chance to talk about one of my pet subjects. There's lots of reasons, I think. The really broad one about the importance of knowing about women in history full stop, because of course, women across the centuries have been much less visible than men because they don't survive in the evidence. It's not that they weren't there. We all know women have always been there. And that's absolutely the case in pharmacy. So if we're looking at a really broad sweep of pharmacy history, then we might think that it was always men involved, whatever sort of sphere of of pharmacy we might be talking about, whatever era. But that's mainly because they're the ones that remain visible in the evidence. And of course, the women were always there. So if we talk about community pharmacy and we talk about pharmacy businesses, whether we're talking, you know, medieval or 19th century, we might think the man was the pharmacist because he's the one that's in the records. But so often they were a family business. So the women were right there beside him. And we know that from individual examples. So it's really this, I guess, this passion that I have to to put the women back into the story at whatever point you're looking at the history. And of course, I would hope that is interesting and feels important to both women and men in pharmacy today. And of course, history is definitely based on the evidence, isn't there? It's a bit like pharmaceuticals in general, really. It's got to be the evidence for it. So if the evidence isn't there, we've got to assume when it comes to the history of things that it was there. (laughs) If you drill down and look, you start thinking, okay, well, where might we find women? You can find them. You know, they are there, but they're often there as widows. That's when they start hitting the evidence because the man isn't there to represent the business or whatever's going on. Or they might be there when they're very rich, because, of course, rich people often survive more visibly in history. Um, and there are examples of women. There's there's a Countess of Kent's powder in the 17th century. The Countess of Kent was a woman called Elizabeth Grey. She was really, really aristocratic, you know, moved in royal circles. She invented this medicine that had all sorts of incredible ingredients in it and survived through pharmaceutical publications for, you know, at least a century, if not more afterwards. So once you start looking... You can see women there, but you have to look. You have to look, which is the problem. (laughs) As we were just saying, the history of women in pharmacy goes back to apothecaries in the 17th century and even back, obviously, making home remedies, I I would assume. So women have always played a part in the creating and the dispensing of medicines. So why are they such an important piece of the history of pharmacy? 
I think partly because what we were just discussing that it feels as if men were pharmacists until you get to very recent history and then suddenly women appear. And that's just not the case. It's never been the case. That's all about the perspective that we've taken on the profession, I would argue. And you get examples, I don't know, if you're looking to buy medicinal herbs in medieval Bristol, let's say, to pick a place out of the air, then it would be most likely to be women who were the experts in that. So it's not just home remedies. If you went to a market and you wanted to buy your raw materials, then you know you were likely to find a woman who was the knowledgeable person in the same way that in a very small village, it was likely to be a woman who was effectively dispensing medicine, you know, not in the same terms that we understand it today, but the expert in the community, whether that's because she's the woman in the stately home who has a still room and is carrying out rudimentary chemistry to make medicines, which she then distributes across her community, or whether she's what might be termed or viewed with suspicion almost as witchcraft, as a, as a wise woman in a community. But women have always been central, have always been central. And therefore, you know, it's, it's really important to, to try and recognise that and think about how that then plays out in our perspectives on, on pharmacy today. It's not a recent thing for women to be, be right at the centre of, of what now we call pharmacy. So when did the profession start to recognise female pharmacists? Because um, as you were saying, it's, you know, we, we kind of go back to apothecaries, but there must have been a point at which women started to enter the profession? It's an interesting one because obviously it comes down a bit to definitions by what we mean by profession. So the Pharmaceutical Society was founded in 1841. Man or woman, you didn't have to be a member until the 1868 Pharmacy Act. And after the 1868 Pharmacy Act, you had to be a member of the Pharmaceutical Society in terms of having passed its exam. So to be registered with the society, to be able to practice pharmacy. And in establishing all of that framework in the 1868 Pharmacy Act, no one thought about gender. No one touched on gender at all. So when that first register in 1869 was established, basically based around sort of a grandparent clause, if you're already practising, then you could go on that first register. There were 215 women because they they were already working as pharmacists. So that's only about 2% of all of the pharmacists on that first 1869 register, but they were there and pretty much no one batted an eyelid immediately. But then the women started to say, hang on a minute, we're registered, but are we allowed to be members? Are we allowed to have voting rights in the pharmaceutical society? And the answer, as we would suspect from an all-male council was, goodness, no, you know, what are you thinking of? So I think in a previous podcast, you've discussed Fanny Deacon. She's the first woman pharmacist on the register in 1869. Then you get Alice Vickery, who's the first woman to pass the minor exam, which was, um, there there there's a hierarchy of exams, effectively. And then you start getting a number of pioneering women who started to pass both the minor exam and the major exam, which was the most academic, the highest level exam run by the Pharmaceutical Society. And those are the ones that were knocking on the door and saying, can we be members, please? I mean, to take the story very briefly onwards, of course, what you need is you need a male ally. So they found that there was a council member called Robert Hampson who wanted to to promote their cause. And so he he got voted onto the council. And basically all through the 1870s, there were toings and froings um, to try and get women 
accepted into so so they had equal rights effectively and they eventually got there in 1879 and two women called Isabella Clark Keir and Rose Minsell were the first women to be appointed members of the of the pharmaceutical society so not just registered to practice but also the same sort of lowercase p political rights as the male members so we've talked about some trailblazing women there. And I know in 2018, the Oxford Dictionary of National Biography commissioned you to write entries for seven female pharmacists to mark the century of, of, of women's suffrage. We've just mentioned some trailblazing women there. And I know we've written about Frances Deacon on, on C&D before. But are there any other women in the history of pharmacy that you think that really we do deserve to know about? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to narrow them down. The seven that I had to select for the Oxford Dictionary of National Biography was quite hard just to come up with seven. Just one, I would probably say Isabella Clark, who once she was married, became Isabella Clark here. So she was the first woman alongside Rose Mintzel, so one of the first two women to become a woman member of the Pharmaceutical Society. She absolutely aced all the exams, she jumped all the hurdles, you know, she came top in everything, and eventually managed to persuade the council to let women in. She was really quite a humble woman, I think, but really quite pragmatic. So once she'd married, she and her husband, Thomas, went into business together, they accepted apprentices, male and female, she applied for and got a post at the fairly newly opened London School of Medicine for Women to teach pharmacy and materia medica. So she wasn't teaching pharmacy students there. She was teaching medical students, but she got in, you know, at the very beginnings of that really important institution. And then she had her arm twisted and apparently she was reluctant to become the first president of the Association of Women Pharmacists. So she really, I, th- I feel there was like a movement kind of coalesced around her maybe whether she liked it or not. But I think in terms of pioneers and in terms of those step changes, I think she was really important. Sounds like maybe a um, a, a reluctant hero for women at the time, possibly. <laughs> so moving forward in time, and you actually just mentioned the um, the Association of Women Pharmacists. The first meeting of, of that particular group was covered by C&D almost 120 years ago, which just shows you how old we are and how, how you know, how long we've been covering this sector. So we we covered the first meeting um, in 1905, and I quote, we described it as a meeting both historical and novel, which is fantastic. And the meeting apparently focused on the problems of women trying to find pharmacy employment. The creation of the AWP must have been a huge part of advancing women in pharmacy, but in, in practice, did it actually help to bolster the role of women as pharmacists? Yes, I think so. I mean, the committee, the first committee and then subsequent committees were an opportunity for the women sort of movers and shakers to be able to find a voice for women in pharmacy. And you can see if you look at the list of those committee members, they go on to take further roles. So, for example, Margaret Buchanan, who was the first deputy president of the Association of Women Pharmacists, went on to be the first woman to serve on the Pharmaceutical Society's Council. That's just one example. And also, I mean, through the pages of the C&D, you can see it. It meant that women really regularly through meeting reports of the AWP were recorded. You know, there were regular um, write-ups of what they were discussing. They regularly wrote in to the letters page. So they tried really hard to make things very visible. They had a very quick build-up of membership. So there clearly was, you know, it wasn't this idea that was novel and no one was buying into it. It was novel. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and, and also... 
they set up some very practical things. They set up a locum register. So, you know, who's out there? What kind of work are they looking for? Flexible working, potentially. Oh, they were ahead of their time with flexible working. Goodness me. <laughs> well, certainly looking, you know, in terms of, of sort of prioritising looking at locuming, then that's quite interesting, isn't it? Such a long time ago. And and one of their aims, I think they described it as being to, to further social intercourse. Well, they meant networking. So, you know, that, that's, that sounds very current, doesn't it? And I think all, all of those things clearly there was a need for them and the fact the organization still exists today shows that it was you know it was definitely an ongoing need you also find I mean this isn't a chat about the history of AWP or NWP but you also find that they really come to the fore again in the second world war for example when they're asked to contribute to discussions about pay levels about pharmacy roles you know they're they're very much a voice that's that seems to have been listened to it's interesting that you mentioned the Second World War then, because I wanted to ask you about the 20th century. Really, was there a gradual development of the role of women pharmacists over the 20th century? Or was there any particular step changes throughout that 100 year period that was really, really important to the progression of women in the profession? Mm. The, the main step change, which is true for pretty much every profession, was the First World War. So a really visual way that I use in lectures to look at this is that if you look at the photograph, the year group photograph for the square for what's now the UCL School of Pharmacy in the, at the beginning of the First World War, and you look at the one for the last year of the First World War, the proportion of women is the dramatic difference. So because you know there was a shortage of men, they were able to take up places that they hadn't been able to take up before. And that provided that platform and they never went back. So the contrast, for example, in medicine is that a lot of women flooded into medical schools during the First World War and then they weren't allowed after the war ended to continue. Whereas pharmacy didn't close the doors, they kept the doors open. And in, again, if we look at individual stories, individual women took advantage of the First World War in particular. So I mentioned Margaret Buchanan earlier. She and a group of three other women saw an opportunity in the First World War to buy a pharmacy in Clapham, in Clapham Common, on the pavements. Um, they took it over as it was a it was a long-standing pharmacy, and they became the joint directors of that business. They only employed women. They took only women apprentices. And Margaret Buchanan set up a pharmacy school that became known as the Gordon Square, the Gordon Hall School of Pharmacy, only for women to really build up the opportunities for women. They recognised that women were finding it hard not just to get into pharmacy schools, but also to have business experience. And therefore, they would forever be sort of secondary in the hierarchy. So this gave the opportunity with not so many men available um, for women to really, really jump in and, uh, and and pick up all these different opportunities. It's funny that we were just talking um, then about women as leaders and directors. I was just looking at some, some data before our call and um, data from the GPHC from 2022 shows that just over 60% of pharmacists are women. And just over 85% of pharmacy technicians are female. So, so far, sounds pretty, pretty balanced, even, you know, a little bit in favour of women, really. However, when we look at moving up the ranks, as it were, only 36% of senior pharmacy leaders are women. This sounds like it's always been a bit of a, uh, an, an issue throughout the years. But is there anything that history can teach us about female leaders in pharmacy? I think it's a really good question, isn't it? Because it's a really, obviously, a perennial issue. 
So women in history that did manage to break into different areas had to work really hard. That won't surprise us. Had to overcome loads of opposition. I mean, the first women to get in the membership, the um, final council meeting that finally allowed women in in 1879, the male council members basically said, we're fed up with the hassle. We'll just let we'll we'll let you in. There was no there was no ethics involved in the conversation. It was like they said something like, "We want to avoid further agitation," so you know, wear them down. Similarly, Margaret Buchanan becoming the first council member, a uh, woman council member, you know, that was met with a lot of ridicule and a lot of opposition, but she persevered. Um, the first woman um, pharmacist um, to become the president of the Pharmaceutical Society, Jean Kennedy Irvine, which is 1947. She was a really big personality. She she really had to play the game to, to get to the top. And I love the fact that in her first speech as president, she said, you know, effectively, what is all this hassle about me being a woman in this role? In the Pharmaceutical Society's library, if you look, you'll find a book dating from the 1500s by Hildegard of Bingham, you'll see that pharmacists have been women for centuries. You know, she, she played on this, this exactly what we're discussing, you know, stop making a drama out of it. Women have always been there, which I think is, is fab. What is also interesting, and I don't know what the listeners will think of this, a lot of the leading women were Scottish. So Jean Kerry Irvin was Scottish, Margaret Buchanan was Scottish, uh, the first woman pharmacist to be an examiner, Agnes Borrowman was Scottish. Um, I, I haven't looked into that in any detail, but I think it's worth noting. So, so there's something to ponder. Might be the subject of your next book, Bryony, possibly. <laughs> um, so, just talking about you know, kind of women becoming becoming leaders, and in 1947, that finally happening. Um, but are there any other threads from the history of women in pharmacy that are still relevant today? I mean, a lot of them are. We've talked about flexible working and becoming locums and and things like that. Do women face some of the same challenges today, albeit I'm sure on a different scale? Yeah, I think perhaps it's depressing, but I think a lot of things are common. So I think you know, in the past, finding mentors, finding role models, um, being confident enough to put yourself forward in spite of opposition, all of that is is relevant today, obviously. And in the past, you know, some of the earliest women to qualify decided to go into hospital dispensing, so effectively taking a step away from public-facing role and perhaps sometimes down the hierarchy because there was so much opposition to going into a community pharmacy and seeing a woman behind the counter, both from male and from female customers. Um, So that sense of, you know, having courage in your convictions, I think, you know, was there in the past and and to a certain extent is still there today. Um, and also that whole thing I was saying a second ago about about networking. I think women in lots of fields find strength and find help and support by talking to other women. And that's certainly something. I mean, the National Association of Women Pharmacists is the really obvious example. Um, but I think that's something that sort of shines through, that women have come together to, to achieve things um, in pharmacy's history. And sometimes you don't realise you need the support until you get it. And then you realise how, just how helpful it is and that you're not on your own with whatever it is that you want to achieve. But that's that's for all work, walks of life, not just pharmacy. <laughs> um, so just, just one final question before I, um, before I let you go. 
what can women working in pharmacy today learn from their pharmaceutical predecessors? We've talked about um, mentors and role models and things like that. Is there anything else you wanted to add just for for, for the modern woman pharmacy worker that, that's thinking, well, you know, what can history really teach me? Yeah, I think as well as all of those threads that we talked about that are sort of common, the other thing I'd hope is there's this well, this sense of pride, maybe, that as a woman pharmacist today, you're part of a long tradition. It's not something, although although obviously the, the, the proportion of women, the dominance of women in the field um, is a relatively recent thing. I think it's 2001 was the first year that the register had more women than men in. So it's, it's I mean, it's not it's not really, really recent. But there's that there's that big sweep of history where women have been central, maybe not very visible, but have been central. And, and women pharmacists today are part of that. And that perhaps does give you confidence, gives you a bit more pride. Um but you know, if you if you have got a battle that you need to face, and you think it might have something to do with gender, um, that is part of something that is is well, perhaps sadly, but but truly sort of woven into into pharmacy history. Yeah, yeah, I love the I love the phrase you used just then, central, but perhaps not visible. That's that's kind of just just sums up the history of women in pharmacy quite well. Um, that is about all the time we've got for today. Bryony, thank you so much for coming on the CND podcast. We've absolutely loved having you. Um, it's been so interesting to hear about how the, the profession has evolved. Um, there's still a bit to do, but um, we must take strength from our <laughs> pharmaceutical forebears and, uh, and, and, and carry on um, getting more women in leadership roles. Um, but again, thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. That brings us to the end of our episode. Thank you so much to Bryony Hudson for talking to us about the history of women in pharmacy. As she put it, central but not always visible. Today, we talked about women at the very beginnings of community pharmacy as herbalists and apothecaries, a role which evolved because of some very strong-willed women pharmacists. Even though we discussed issues dating back 200, 300 years, some of those same threads remain prevalent today. The importance of networking, mentorship and flexible working. For more news and updates on CND's Women in Pharmacy group, please check out the CND community via our website, chemistandruggist.co.uk. Thank you for listening.